0: This is The School Bell, brought to you by Independent Schools Queensland, the peak body promoting, supporting and developing Queensland's independent schools.
1: It's really looking at the young person holistically and saying maybe their six hours of screen use a day isn't detrimental to them, but the fact that they're choosing not to go outside and exercise, that might be detrimental.
0: Hello, I'm Shari Armistead, Director of Strategic Relations at Independent Schools Queensland. Welcome to the School Bell. In this episode, I'm speaking with Wendy Mills, a clinical nurse and EdLink coordinator, which comes under Children's Health Queensland Hospital and Health Service. Welcome, Wendy. Hi Shari, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here with us at ISQ and also in person, which is lovely. Tell us about EdLink. Going by the name, it sounds like a service that links education with health. Is that right? What do you do? That is right. We're a statewide
1: service, so we have statewide EdLink coordinators as well as EdLink coordinators that work in specific areas around the state, about 25 of us. And we primarily work with education sectors, even though we're health employees. So All of us will be psychologists, social workers, occupational therapists, speech and language pathologists, and nursing background like myself uh, that work within the child and youth mental health services around the state. But we link in with education sectors to enhance the capacity of their staff to respond to mental health and well-being of students um, at their
0: schools mental health and well-being is obviously an important area for the whole community but of course incredibly important at schools with young people and is that why it was initially set up? Um, yes it was definitely seen as a service gap. Um, it was
1: set up uh, over a decade ago and only really you know one person around the state and looking at those needs really set up as a small project. It's really evolved uh, into something that was very much service-driven. Um, from, from the bottom up to say, you know, people saying, this is what we need. Um, there's been reviews since then to, um, to expand to all school-age students and all education sectors. So we will provide services
0: to government schools, Catholic schools, and of course, Edu- Independent Schools Queensland. That's fantastic. So um, these resources that you provide, they're in person and online? Correct. And we have a really large scope. We can have a
1: scope of helping schools and staff from one person, giving us a call and saying, hey, I've got a student that is, you know, having a bit of a tough time at the moment. Maybe I'm not sure where to get some resources to help them myself, or I'm not sure where to refer them to all the way through to possibly large
0: sector-wide deliveries of training and um, provision of resources. You do, as you say, work for all sectors. You have got a good relationship with Independent Schools Queensland. How did that start? Uh, I can't comment on how it started
1: because I feel like it's always been there. Um, Independent Schools Queensland, it sounds as though they've really... um, they see whatever resources are available and and try to get whatever they can. Um, So we do have a good relationship with Karen Roman. Uh, She's in the Wellbeing Area in Independent Schools Queensland and she's really advocated for staff within independent schools to have as much knowledge and resources that can be available to them. Um, More recently, we've she's really approached us to say that staff have noticed a real gap in the information available regarding gaming and screen use in students. So we've worked together um, to create and uh, provide some workshops and online training for staff all around Queensland.
0: Yes, one of our staff multimedia officer, Jeff Licence, who is recording the podcast for us right now, thank you Jeff, has attended a in-person four-hour workshop recently about screen use for young people. Could you talk a little bit about that and the strategies for schools, teachers and parents? Sure, um, like you said it's four hours
1: so it can be quite extensive. Um, initially I I guess a lot of the concerns were around gaming addiction. Um, But really, we see that as the pointy end. That's when kids have already had behavioral issues because of their gaming or screen use. We really wanted to bring it right back to the beginning and say, actually, what can we notice in these kids and and stop these from becoming an issue in the first place? Um, Hence why we got rid of the word addiction. We didn't even really use the word problematic. It's really just about gaming and screen use in students. Understanding maybe why they would use it, when it might become a problem, or maybe what problems might already be there that uh, might be exacerbated by their gaming and screen use. Um, we really came up, came to the conclusion that gaming and screen use itself isn't so much of a problem. It's actually really beneficial, and there's a lot of evidence worldwide to suggest that it's really um, it's really going to be an issue when a when a child might already have some pre predisposing factors they might already have vulnerabilities um, or possibly no supports
0: around them when that's when it might become an issue. Because it's already actually a, a subject a lot of the time in schools where they're looking at gaming or it's part of a subject isn't that right? Correct
1: and I've heard from so many staff that say that so many government agencies school bureaucracies I guess have told them we need to encourage digital use in schools over the past decade and now they're concerned about their digital use um so that's a bit tricky it's really about finding that nice balance um and that's a huge message behind our workshops we're talking about boundaries and balance for young people and say that it's great that they
0: can use it but in a safe way um And it really is a partnership, these things, aren't they? It's never just the school. It's also got to be parents, it's got to be at home, it's peers, it's a whole range, isn't it? Certainly, and I guess
1: people would know, I guess, the systems in a person's life, especially young people are so important, knowing that if the family and the school and anybody else in the student's life can really work together, they can notice issues earlier, they can educate the person using shared language and they can really empower the young person to make better decisions knowing that there's support along the way if they get in trouble. Some of the large messages in our gaming and screen use workshops is around boundaries and balance. So obviously having boundaries for the students, educating them as to where they should be using their gaming and and screens, and also the balance in their life. Are they still getting outside? Are they still eating well? Are they still sleeping well? It's really looking at the young person holistically and saying maybe their six hours of screen use a day isn't detrimental to them but the fact that they're choosing not to go outside and exercise that might be detrimental the fact that they're staying up until 1am because their friends are halfway around the world they actually might get a lot of satisfaction from that they might have good connections and good friendships but the fact that it might be having an effect on their sleep that might be what's detrimental so making sure that school staff families have a really good idea of what it is that's affecting the young person and addressing that but also allowing the young person to address that themselves, educating them as to being healthy in all areas of their life, empowering them to make the right decisions. Um, There is a a bicycle analogy that we have in our workshop where I would describe, uh, any EdLink coordinator would describe the fact that when we were kids, we would get a bicycle for Christmas or, or our birthday and that would be our ticket to the world. We would be able to go for rides and see friends, go to school by ourselves, but first we would be given a helmet we would have training wheels our our parents or other carers in our life would show us how to ride around the yard then maybe we can go to the park then maybe we can go to school and then by the time we're an adolescent that they trust us that we're mature enough we can spend the whole day on our bikes with our friends nowadays kids are given a phone or an ipad and that's it they're teaching us how to use it so, being able to actually sit down with the young person, be interested in what they're interested in, what are you using, how are you using it? How are you what are you going to do if you come across something that is distressing for you? What happens if this comes up and you don't quite know what to do? Who are you going to go to for help? And that's really based on the OECD recommendations. They've done a lot of research. So the OECD is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and they've got education and empowering young people and really ensuring that the communities that are in our young people's lives are supporting the young people to take control of their own online
0: and digital lives. That's fantastic. I think what you've um, illustrated there is that drilling down, it's not just about, okay, six hours is too long. Um, No, you can't do it. And And the big stick and stop, or you're not allowed to do this at night. Because if you do go in and ask the questions and start very openly with the child, that would be, I would say, much more successful, you would think, with the child being empowered to tell them what you do and how they do it, and then how we can work together to make not banning you using the screen and not banning you doing your gaming but how can you do this better and giving you the tools to help yourself or where to get the help as a child who's there for you or I love the way you frame how are you going to do this and who are you going to go to so it's giving that student the empowerment certainly it's really educating them not just about their screen use but
1: life skills back in our day we'd ride the bike to the local park we could still be exposed to things that are unhelpful that are unhealthy that can be traumatizing the same as young people can be exposed to those things online today it's still going to be the same life lessons
0: like don't talk to strangers when they're out on the road on your bike when you're a kid exactly okay if you get hurt what are you going to do if you see something that you know isn't right And And drilling in your address and where you live and your phone number and all of those things, that's a very good analogy, I think, Mm -hmm. because then it's giving them the tools they need to help themselves. Yes, I think people are just acutely aware now of how quickly
1: young people can be exposed to things online there's a lot of work that E-Safety Commissioner does nationally. They have some wonderful webinars that I couldn't talk up enough. And they have some great posters and resources, booklets that can be printed out and can really start conversations with young people and families about what they can be exposed to online.
0: And like you said, it's not about the screen time, it's about their screen use. That's fantastic. And this is online as well, available, a lot of these resources that they can find? How do they find them from a school? Sure. So a school will be able to go to their wellbeing
1: people and say, look, this is a gap in our learning, or we already have students that might have these um, issues with their screen use. What can we do? In a lot of the wellbeing and independent schools, will know their local EdLink coordinator. I'm only from kind of the Brisbane region. There's people all around the state, from Torres to the Gold Coast and everywhere in between. And they can go to their local EdLink coordinator and
0: um, look about getting some workshops delivered to them. That's fantastic. What else are you working on at the moment apart from that screen use? Well, gaming and screen use has been our most recent
1: uh, delivery. But we also, around the state, it's different depending on who is in that area. But Youth Mental Health First Aid is really our... Is really our foundation. Cool. Mm. Yes, that's our that's our core delivery. So most of the Edlink coordinators around the state deliver for Youth Mental Health First Aid to school staff, not just teachers or leadership, pastoral care, but also other staff within the school. So they can really know notice of early signs of any mental health issues and and work with the student and the family to stop it from getting too bad, um, provide resources and information. So Youth Mental Health First Aid is something that you can, uh, staff can always come to EdLink coordinators about. Um, And like I said, you can contact EdLink coordinators and the Child and Youth Mental Health Service about individual students or groups of students, and we also have, in different areas, uh, different deliveries of workshops. So, for example, in Brisbane, we will deliver information on anxiety. We have a collaboration, actually, with our eating disorders team here in Brisbane. So, eating disorders is something that a lot of schools want a lot of upskilling about, um, because they're not quite sure the early signs, they're not quite sure when to get involved. It feels like quite a sensitive issue, um, bringing it up with parents, etc. So we work with our eating disorders team, who is a statewide service as well, to deliver that information and education.
0: I really love that terminology, youth mental health first aid. That's mm. such a really positive view of it, so that you can intervene first aid mm. to, to do this. And it is about getting in quickly, isn't it?
1: definitely and noticing those early signs and people might notice hey that that young person isn't involved in the activities they used to be maybe that young person seems to be avoiding class or maybe they're not hanging out with their friends as much but sometimes the school staff don't quite know what to do they feel like they might be overstepping their boundaries as a school staff member they might not know who to go to within the school or even should we approach their parents or even the student themselves but I think it's really important to say if you know, regarding physical first aid, if you saw someone with a physical issue, you'd go there and you'd offer help. If they had a cut, if they fell over and hurt themselves, you would go and approach them. Um, And we really want to reduce the stigma around helping people because one in four adolescents will have a mental health problem in their adolescent life.
0: That's a very big number really, isn't it? Yes, it's such a concern, and I know it is finally on uh, the agenda, like politically, and uh, governments are certainly onto this as well, and of course all of our sectors and our schools. But as you said, like it's it's very difficult for teachers; they have to be a bit of a jack of all trades, and a lot of the time, um, as well as being, of course, uh, very qualified in their teaching, mm-hmm. but to to sort of fill the the problems of the world and try to fix everything for everybody, but they just can't sometimes, and so they do need to reach out and get an expert like yourselves to help them and it's great for you them to know that you're there I'm, I'm really intrigued by the first aid as you say there'd be other things that we're seeing a lot more of now such as um, young people transitioning uh, that would be a very difficult area for people who are untrained to try to navigate do you also offer support there yes we do i'm really glad you mentioned it because we've worked with our
1: gender clinic here in brisbane which also is a statewide service to look at involving young people and carers with lived experience of gender diversity so they've been able to work with us to create a training that we now deliver to all school staff and that's about really understanding gender diversity and the mental health outcomes from actually supporting these young people and their families rather than ignoring or shunning or, you know, ignoring the stigma that's
0: involved around that. Do you find that schools, we often say schools, are hubs of the community, so getting in with the school and the, and the wonderful workers in our schools to actually help outreach to families as well has been beneficial?
1: Mm, certainly, I, I really see the, they say it takes a village to raise a child and the school is often that village. And it, it's really hard to, to think of the school staff as anything but a real community for the young people. And if the young people don't know who to go to and the staff don't know how to help them, that can be a real gap. So that's hopefully where we're here to fill that gap. How long have you been working in EdLink? Um, I've been with EdLink for over a year now, Um, I've been with the Child and Youth Mental Health Service for over 15 years in all different services, but I really, I find EdLink is such a valuable service, because it really meets that gap, and especially all young people go to school, or at least they
0: should be. Yes, that's right, so you are getting them where they live, basically. Yes. And and have you found that you've got an appreciation from teachers and principals for this service, especially if you go out to schools or you're at the end of the line when they ring? Certainly.
1: I've learnt so much about the school system. I've learnt how they work, how they can support young people. And our students perceive their schools and their communities as well. And so being able to learn how they work we can know how to position ourselves best to help them. Um, As soon as a school community, an education sector know that we exist, we always get a lot more calls, we always get a lot more contact. And we try to provide as much outreach and proactive promotion of the things that we do or what other people do as much as possible. All different um, EdLink coordinators around the state provide that promotion in different ways. Uh, We in Brisbane, as well as a lot of other areas, do a newsletter quarterly where people can subscribe and we will promote not just what we do, but other organisations. We might see you know, online conferences, we might see in-person conferences. We really try to um, do as much research into what webinars and education is available. Uh, that way we can promote it directly to staff.
0: Well, schools can be really reassured because it's really under Queensland Health, so obviously you're the professionals, the experts in this area, so it must be a big relief to them, I think. Um, Is there a particular, without naming people of course, is there a particular um, incident or, or a helping situation that you can recall that you can tell us about that really got to you or you thought, well, this maybe led you into a different direction to start something?
1: There are certain areas that have really looked at the young cohort to look at the earliest intervention as possible. Young people sometimes have a really rough start to their school life. Um, perhaps they, you know, they have disabilities. Perhaps they have a family that financially can't support their transition to school as appropriately as they should. Um, so that's an area that I'm looking at is really trying to identify those kids that might have trouble starting school and to support them as much as possible. There's in different education sectors there are different teams that will help to support these young people if only the families and the young people know that they're there. Um, So to be able to link some of the families that we know of, uh, we'll have families that are involved in the Child Youth Mental Health Service that aren't aware maybe there's a particular complex care team or there's case management involved in schools that can help to support them. School refusal and school disengagement is a really large area and I think COVID has certainly exacerbated those issues. Um, So a lot of school sectors have created specific school disengagement teams to look at how they can ensure that students are supported to maintain their engagement. Because as we know, if students become disengaged from school, it can affect almost every other area of their life, not just their wellbeing, but their academic performance as
0: well. Yes, well, we have special assistant schools which deal with disengaged youth, obviously, and those that maybe feel that they don't um, belong in a, in a mainstream school, or they're not going so well. Do you, but this is about trying to help those who are in mainstream schools as well to, to not feel disengaged.
1: Certainly. The, if a student feels supported by their school, they might not want to move schools even though they might feel like they're not getting what they need. They might already have a group of people that they really enjoy spending time with. They might have those adults that they feel is that consistent support. I'll hear from young people sometimes that they might say, actually, I don't like any of my teachers... But I walk into reception and see that smiling admin lady every day and that reassures me it's okay to be here. Um, sometimes they'll walk into a school and they'll know that they can always go to the library because the librarian just will just be a nice, consistent, kind person to them every day. Um, so it's really important that we help kids at all levels of their school and help the school staff, like I said, not just the teachers but all school staff because they're a community.
0: Do you get a lot of satisfaction out of helping them?
1: yes i do i i am so used to having specific client direct contact i've been a frontline worker for for so many years working in hospitals and community emergency departments um, seeing people in their homes and even as a school-based youth health nurse but so having that direct uh, satisfaction from seeing someone do well isn't there but being able to hear from the teachers that this student is now coming every day after not coming to school for two years or this student handed in their work and was ecstatic to get a C because they were supported through that and and to see the student well-being team be really satisfied and and supportive of their students that's that is
0: satisfying for me so you do get that feedback. Are you getting some data to try to see about how this intervention is working? We do, throughout Queensland, provide, um, get
1: a lot of data. So from the workshops we provide, we obviously have evaluations. We do get individual feedback. It is really hard to know exactly what maybe one phone call and the effect that that has had. But there are, around the state, some certain complex care teams. We have forums of where health workers... Uh, case managers, wellbeing
0: and school staff will come together to discuss their kids on a regular basis. But the anecdotal evidence, like you were saying, when you get that feedback even from the wellbeing officers in schools must be amazing. And that, as you said, some of those experiences that they've told you where they can tell you a certain child has gone from A to B, that Mm -hmm. must be um, very worthwhile. Yes. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the work that you're doing and I hope that you continue, and I know you will, to work with independent schools via ISQ and directly to schools. We'll put up on our website, and when they listen to this podcast, we'll certainly put up some information about how they can contact Edlink. Thank you so much, Wendy. We really appreciate it. No, thank you, Shari. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate your interest in Edlink and what we do. You have been listening to The School Bell, an independent schools Queensland podcast. To learn more about Independent Schools Queensland, visit our website, isq.qld.edu.au. To catch our next episode or listen to some previous podcasts, you can subscribe to ISQ's The School Bell on iTunes or Google Play. You can also listen via our website or wherever you get your podcasts.